You're listening to Your Best Life, powered by Mercy One. Join us as we have a fun conversation with certified experts and physicians about health topics for you and your family. It's Your Best Life, our one purpose. Once again, today we're joined by Dr. Ravi Vermuri, an infectious disease specialist at Mercy One. And today, Dr. Vermuri, the topic is monkeypox. Looking forward to your expertise to just kind of tell our listeners, first off, what is monkeypox? What does it look like? Okay, so monkeypox is probably a misnomer. It's probably more accurate to call it rodent pox. In fact, the WHO group, has met to try to come up with a new name. And unfortunately, they haven't come up with one yet. So we've known about this disease known as monkeypox since about uh, the mid-1950s, I believe, when uh, it was first described in Africa. Since then, uh, for the longest time, we felt that this is what they call a zoonosis, meaning that occasionally people get infected from animals. And typically it happened in either Central Africa or Western Africa. Uh, And uh, there are basically two two so-called clades or or, or species of organisms, the so-called Central African clade and then the West African clade. And over the decades, there would be a few cases in some of these countries often occurring in rural areas or areas where people came into contact with animals. And then occasionally you would see a case or two in England or Germany or someplace like that with travelers coming back from Africa. The United States actually had a small outbreak in Illinois in 2003, which was attributed to uh, rats imported from Ghana. So these Ghanaian rats, which are imported as exotic pets, uh, transmitted monkeypox to local prairie dogs or Illinois prairie dogs, which were kept at the same facility. And then some people who bought these prairie dogs as pets then came down with monkeypox actually. So that outbreak was described by the CDC. It was very limited and it was transmitted from uh, these rodents to people. And, and for decades, that's how we've thought of this infection, low transmission rates, very limited to immediate contacts of either the animal or some other person. Fast forward to just about two and a half, three months ago, when people started reporting monkeypox in a number of different countries. And now all of a sudden, we have over 85 countries reporting it. So what for decades was thought to be a small zoonotic infection going from animals to people occasionally and very limited in transmission, now has become a full-fledged outbreak, including, as you mentioned, in the U.S., we've had over 13,500 cases. And in Iowa, we've had 15 cases reported so far. So the real question is, you know, how did this rare, occasionally reported uh, so-called zoonotic infection now suddenly become a global outbreak. Uh, I mean, it's not to the level of a pandemic, uh, not even to level of an epidemic at this point, although in certain populations, one could call it an epidemic. It's more of an outbreak situation. And when, when people have started investigating this a bit further, what they've realized is there was a physician, an infectious disease physician based in Nigeria, 
who in 2017 raised the alarm. But unfortunately, no one really listened to him or, or, or the powers that be didn't pay too much attention at the time. But he noticed there was an increased transmission of monkeypox in urban Nigeria, which uh, that country had never witnessed before. He, uh, just like everybody else, was accustomed to thinking of monkeypox as the occasional infection that one sees in people living in forested or rural areas coming into contact with animals. But what he discovered was young men aged uh, 18 to about 45 were coming down with infection in urban areas. These were professional men who were not accustomed to going out to rural areas or going into forested areas. And, and, and he raised the alarm. And unfortunately, uh, nobody took him all that seriously. And after a while, Nigeria actually stopped tracking it. But in retrospect, people now believe that this outbreak had its origins uh, in Nigeria. It was circulating uh, amongst this group of people there for a long time. And being the uh, global world that we have with easy travel, uh, you know, pretty soon it ended up in some of these other countries, and then it kind of took off from there. So let's talk about um, the illness itself. So, th- so this is a virus, is that correct? Yes, it belongs to the pox group of viruses. It's a DNA virus. It's related to smallpox and cowpox. So what does it actually look like? How does somebody know if they have symptoms of this? Typically, uh, people get what are called prodromal symptoms, meaning they might feel a little feverish, they might feel fatigue, they might feel like uh, really, you know, they might be coming down with the flu. Now, not everyone presents like this, but the majority of people do. And then over a three to four day period, a rash starts developing. And uh, the rash can be just about everywhere. They first uh, look like flat spots, then they become almost like pimples or vesicles, almost like acne. And oftentimes this can be confused, especially if it's in the genital area, for other sexually transmitted infections like herpes or syphilis or chancroid. So uh, it, it, it can start in the genitals depending upon where the contact occurred. Or it could start in the hands, uh, the face, the mouth, uh, the chest. Uh, And eventually, this rash goes through various stages. It can often be painful. These vesicles are often deep-seated. Then eventually, they may burst and start draining. They may coalesce. Uh, And then eventually, they crust over and they separate from the skin. And people will remain infectious for the entire duration of the rash. You're considered non-infectious only after all the lesions have crusted over, separated, and you've grown new skin. So this whole process can last anywhere from two to four weeks. And then after the two to four weeks, have you kicked it? You you can move on with your life or are, are symptoms of this any long-term impacts at all? Well, uh, you know, we, we will know about any long-term impacts as more and more people enter this uh, convalescent or recovery phase. But typically, from previous uh, descriptions of, of the sporadic cases that we've known about for decades, once people uh, 
completely heal their skin and uh, all the lesions are crusted over and fall off, they typically go on to have relatively normal lives without any prolonged symptoms. Unlike smallpox, I don't think it leaves the deep pitted scars that smallpox used to when it was still with us. As people may or may not know, uh, the WHO declared smallpox eradicated from the world somewhere around 1978 or 1979. So anyone can get this. Um, There's even been nine pediatric cases reported in the United States as of today. Um, So what what do you think you should do if you start to see these symptoms? What's your next step? So let's just back up for a minute and talk about uh, who's actually getting this. About uh, 95% of the cases that are reported in the United States are happening in males who are having uh, sex with other males. Now, the remaining 5% in in cases where where there's no documentation of either of them being males or having any sex at all, it comes from intimate uh, household uh, contact. Rarely healthcare workers can get it but uh, mostly it's household contacts. And I I believe that's how the children are getting it. So uh, once you recognize the symptoms, you should immediately, uh, especially if you have those risk factors, in other words, you're a male having had recent sex with uh, other males, or you are uh, in a household with a recently diagnosed case, or you've been in a large gathering or a small gathering or any type of gathering where a number of cases have been reported and you may have had some incidental contact. So if if you belong to any of those categories, if you recognize these symptoms, you should immediately isolate yourself from the rest of your household, uh, stick to one room. And then if you need to get out of the room, uh, make sure your skin is completely covered and you wear a tight fitting mask and then call uh, either your physician or your county health department, and then they can arrange for testing uh, through the Iowa Department of Public Health to uh, confirm whether uh, you have a case or not. Typically, once the swabs are collected, depending upon when it reaches the state hygienic lab in Iowa City, uh, it it takes about 24 to 48 hours to get the result, and, and they do a PCR test which looks for the DNA of the virus uh, from the lesions. Uh, There are some uh, therapies available. There's a medication called TPOX, but unfortunately it is not yet approved. So it's considered experimental. So for example, if I have HIV and suddenly I've been diagnosed with monkeypox, I'm at high risk for having more serious outcomes because I'm immune suppressed. Or let's say I have rheumatoid arthritis and I'm on some high-dose steroids or some other medication that suppresses my immune system, uh, I might want to uh, discuss it with my provider, who then will discuss it with the Iowa Department of Public Health, uh, and then fill in the appropriate paperwork saying that I understand that this is experimental, it hasn't been approved yet, then I might get that medication and I might take it. Uh, to lessen the symptoms, lessen the duration of Ill- illness, shorten the shorten the duration. So treatment uh, is available, but but it's very limited. And again, you have to go through a lot of paperwork uh, to get the medication because it's not 
uh, approved, it's still considered experimental. Um, well, you know, better yet, um, prevention is even better. Um, and you've talked a little bit about protecting your skin or covering that rash if you start to develop things. But there's also um, vaccines, I believe, that are starting to become more available across the United States. What can we talk about there? Yeah, absolutely. So th there are actually two vaccines that are available. One is an older vaccine called, I believe it's called ACAM 100. It is, uh, it is actually the smallpox vaccine. We have about 100 million doses stockpiled in the U.S. because the government decided to stockpile just in case somebody ever attacked us using smallpox as a bioterror weapon. So, and, and then our military personnel, I believe, are routinely vaccinated. So that's, uh, that's the older vaccine, but that cannot be given to immunocompromised people. Uh, it can only be given to people whose immune systems are intact. There's a newer vaccine called Genios, which is made by a small Danish firm. The U.S. is purchasing large quantities of that. And that is now available through some local health departments, uh, especially to high-risk individuals. So let us say uh, I see a patient who I diagnose monkeypox on. And let's say there are five members in that household, and, and this patient uh, you know, like family members uh, eat together, uh, they sit on couches together. I mean, people have intimate contact in a family. Uh, people may be cuddling their children, etc. So the, the health department can then go out and uh, find all the contacts of this person. And if they're able to, once the diagnosis in, in the index patient is made, if they're able to find the contacts and, and they determine that they are close, intimate contacts of this person, they can, uh, and if they're able to get to them within five days of the diagnosis uh, of the index patient, then uh, they can start the immunization process with the Genios vaccine. It's a two-shot vaccine separated by about three weeks, I believe. Uh, if they get it uh, started within five days, they can abort the infection in the household contacts. Now, for some reason, they don't get to them within five days and they get to them between days five and day 14. Uh, you can still get the vaccine. Uh, you, you may not completely abort the uh, infection, but you'll get a less serious case of the disease. So that is uh, uh, prevention. Prevention, of course, is uh, if, if you know there's an obvious case, you don't want to be in contact with them until they're considered safe enough to be out of isolation. If you somehow uh, had some sort of contact with a confirmed case, uh, if the, uh, you can contact your county health department, and if a vaccine is available and they can get it to you within five days, then you can potentially uh, never come down with the infection. But on the other hand, uh, if they get to you between days five and 14, it's still useful to take the vaccine. Uh, you might still get the infection, but it'll be a much milder case. So this has been called a public health concern. How worried do people need to be about this? In general, for example, in Iowa, you know, we've had only 15 confirmed cases. And in the whole country of nearly 335 million, we've had only... Uh, about, uh, what would I say, about 15,000 cases so far. I, it, it, there are certain pockets, urban pockets, especially amongst the um, gay and bisexual community. So certainly those communities need to be concerned. 
and, and they need to take precautions and they need to uh, perhaps get prophylactically vaccinated to break the chain of transmission. But, but the average individual who uh, is not in that community or not immune compromised or has not been in contact with any known case, I, I think at this point, uh, you know, we need to be aware of it, but we need not lose sleep over it. I, I think we should still be more worried about COVID than monkeypox at this point for the average individual out there. So, uh, but, you know, if you do come into a known case, uh, come into some sort of intimate contact, or if uh, a bunch of people in your circle have been confirmed, then, then uh, you, you should be concerned and you should take appropriate steps uh, and even contacting the public health department to see if you qualify for vaccine. Now, if you are uh, in uh, communities where we're seeing a lot of transmission, even if you haven't come into contact, you can go sign up and, uh, uh, and if vaccine is available, you can get the vaccine. Now, as uh, vaccine becomes more and more available, uh, then of course, um, anyone who considers themselves at risk, theoretically, should be able to get the vaccine. But uh, with the availability being limited, they're trying to, of course, reserve the vaccine for those that are at highest risk. All right. Once again, talking to Dr. Ravi Vamuri, infectious disease specialist at Mercy One. Anything else you'd like to tell our listeners about monkeypox today? Yeah. So <clears throat> there might be some older people out there who would have gotten smallpox vaccine uh, in their childhood. Uh, and, and those individuals uh, at, at some point, there was some thought that uh, if you've been vaccinated against smallpox, you may have protection, um, protection against monkeypox. And that is true, but I think the CDC put the cutoff at three years. So if it's been more than three years since you got your smallpox vaccine, then they don't necessarily consider you uh, immune to monkeypox. So for example, if there's an individual that falls into a risk group for potentially contracting monkeypox, and let's say they got smallpox vaccine 10 years ago, I think then the public health department would say, you know, you would still qualify for this monkeypox vaccine because your smallpox vaccine was too far removed to be potentially of benefit. So I am not sure exactly how the CDC came up with the three-year rule. They must have looked at some serologic data to come up with that. But uh, I, I I know that there are a number of probably military personnel who have relatively recently been vaccinated against smallpox. So if it's been within three years, they uh, then are considered to be protected against uh, monkeypox. And we'll make sure to put some links in our episode description back to the CDC for any uh, more information. If any of our listeners are curious to dive a little deeper on any of the topics related to monkeypox that we've touched on today, as far as case counts and spread and how to protect yourself. I, I would, Adam, I would encourage listeners who, who are interested in this to go to the uh, CDC link and go to the patient site and read about the symptoms. Take a look at the picture of the lesions of, of how these lesions look like. And then uh, if they, if they uh, uh, do have risk factors and they are seeing these lesions, they should immediately isolate themselves from other people, contact their provider, 
uh, if for some reason they don't have a provider, they can contact the local public health department and then somebody should be able to um, uh, uh, swab you and get you tested uh, if, if you qualify based on uh, what your lesions look like, okay? And is that a type of, I know we have a number of urgent care locations at Mercy One. Is urgent care an appropriate setting to get that looked at? You know, you need to contact the uh, provider in advance. Uh, what you should say is, uh, you know, you, you think you have some lesions, you're worried that it might be monkeypox. And then um, we have guidance to all of our uh, medical staff providers on exactly what steps they should take if they encounter a patient that they suspect is having monkeypox. So for example, uh, if they know in advance that this person is coming in, they will immediately escort them to a private room, keep the door closed, you know, throw a mask on them. And then people will then enter that room, uh, healthcare providers in full PPE, that is personal protective equipment. The CDC recommends uh, eye protection, a uh, well-fitting uh, mask, uh, gown and gloves when evaluating people with potential monkeypox. So then they will swab the lesions uh, send them off to the state hygienic lab, then instruct the patient to uh, isolate themselves at home until they hear about the results. And if they happen to have positive results, then the provider can talk to them about possibly signing up for TPOX, the experimental drug, and then go through all of that procedure. Uh, and, and then the public health department will be in touch with people to ask about who their contacts are so they can reach out and inform the contacts. Uh, and, and then the public health will then give detailed instructions on how to behave at home, how to isolate yourself, what to do with your laundry, you know, not to share dishes, how to clean surfaces. There's a whole uh, scheme of things that one needs to do. All of that information is on the CDC website, but public health will also review that hopefully with individuals who are confirmed cases. All right, Dr. Ravi Vamiri, once again, want to thank you for taking time out of your busy day uh, to speak with us here on our podcast. Anything else before we wrap up? Uh, no, thank you for uh, giving me the opportunity to uh, get this information out. Thanks a lot. If you have any feedback on today's episode, make sure to send us an email at podcast at mercyhealth.com or visit us online, mercyhealth.org slash podcast. There's a submission form you can fill out and you can also find all of our other episodes. Until next time, live your best life. Music.